Here at Dirty Spoon, we're firm believers that every meal tells a story. In fact, we've built our entire journal out of the idea that there really isn't a dish without a story behind it. When we started, we wanted to provide an avenue for people in the restaurant industry, home cooks, or for heritage cooks to tell their stories, to feel they could have a voice. Because in so many ways, what we serve our guests isn't just something we've learned to cook, it's something we've learned to cook from someone else. It's the taste of our cultures, our families, our heritages. And more often than not, it isn't just our own story. It's the story of the people we grew up with, the people who raised us, and the people who raised them. But oftentimes on this show, we wind up putting people's culinary stories into words. So what about an event that tries to do the opposite, putting people's stories into food? The culinary happening Chow Chow is about to wrap up their summer-long series of dinners, and they actually asked me to host the last one which is fittingly enough revolving around storytellers. The Food Stories Dinner will feature guest narrators like Seasonal School of Culinary Arts facilitator Susie Gott-Sigaray, artist and poet Cleesta Cotton, Cherokee forager Tyson Sampson, and social change entrepreneur Tracy Green Washington, paired with local favorite chefs like Gypsy Queen Cuisine's Susie Phillips, Neng Jr.'s Silver Kausler, Cultura's Eric Morris, and chopped food stylist Michelle Gentile. The chefs work with the narrators to communicate their stories through food, which, when you think about it, is a pretty fun concept for an interactive dinner. Guests could wind up with the narrator's comfort food or something unique and original. The possibilities are pretty wide open. Well, from Dirty Spoon Media and Chow Chow, this is a podcast special, Food Stories, I'm Jonathan Ammons, and today we're going to be taking a look at what it takes to tell someone's story through food. Stay with us. Tyson Sampson has turned an education in the healing arts into a career in telling the stories of the Cherokee people. When Tyson was growing up in Cherokee, he admits that he was a little embarrassed by his culture. Part of that for me was a lot of shame initially. I I had a new friend who was in the woods. Um, We went on a hike and they were um, picking dandelion greens and chickweed. And I was, I I just looked at my friend like, what are you doing? And it really brought up this, this um, feeling of almost like it was shameful. It was my shame around who we were and what we did because I thought it the way that society was teaching me back then in the early 90s was you were either poor or you weren't poor and nobody wanted to be poor and so for me looking at you know foraging and gathering foods was a point of of embarrassment for me but but I'm when I was in, in the woods with this friend who was picking dandelion greens, I said, why are you doing this? And the person said, well, it's because I'm in uh, herb school and these are the things we're learning. And I, I said, well, why aren't they teaching you this over here? And I pointed to Sochan. And I said, um, my family eats this every year. Funny enough, it was those bushy stalks of Sochan that pushed him further and further towards his own community. I was 12 years old when I was able to identify Sochan and pick it. 
on my own without having somebody to make sure that I wasn't picking poison ivy. You know, like, you don't even question it. You just, you just pick it because you know, you know it. But initially, I just remember, remember, remember my mom saying, you know, because I would say, Mom, is this it? You know, Grandma, is this it? You know, a hundred times. He notes that when a lot of aspiring foragers venture out to harvest from the woods, they tend to shy away from particular plants. Some edible plants are poisonous if not handled correctly. He says he's seen a few folks get sick from nibbling on stalks of sochan fresh from the ground. Well, you need to, for one, you need to learn how to respect this plant. You know, because this plant is trying to teach you some things. And for one, you don't, just because you hear or learn that something is edible, you don't just go over there and grab it. You know, you know the poke, pokeberry, pokeweed plant, right? We just call that poke salad. It, it's totally divine, really. But a lot of people have sensitivity to it because it's a totally toxic plant. Now, that's that another good example of a plant that if you don't know what you're doing, you can hurt yourself. And a lot of people uh, in, in where I grew up, handfuls of people here and there that say, nope, don't want nothing to do with that plant. See it one time when I was a kid and so-and-so fixed it and they didn't boil it enough and it burned, it blistered my mouth. Learning to harvest and prepare sochan and poke salad the way his grandmother taught him, or cooking it for friends outside of his family, all showed Tyson the value of their traditions. But sharing those traditions with friends also revealed to him the depth of knowledge among the Cherokee traditions. Going to school for massage and learning about herbal medicine kept pushing Tyson back inwards towards the culture that had raised him. That, that, that's one thing about me. My whole life, all my life's experiences have led me back to being an Indian here in Cherokee because that's how I was raised by my grandma and my mom, you know. The embrace of that heritage and the absorption of those roots have led him to dedicate his life to telling the stories of the people that taught him those traditions, sharing the wisdom of Native Americans with his neighbors. You see, Tyson isn't just passing on something he learned in school. He's passing on a living tradition, something passed down by his ancestors in this country for thousands of years, long before America was even a country. And where did he learn it from? From his grandmother, who learned it from her grandmother, who learned it from her grandmother. Something and someone Tyson says he didn't appreciate quite enough at the time. Because I didn't realize how much I relied on her until she was gone. Um, and she was a brilliant person in so many ways. Um, she probably had a ninth grade education, but she, to this day, was one of the most, or the most brilliant human I've ever known. She had seven children and I was her first grandchild. So I basically was like her eighth kid. And, um, and so I got to be around her for a lot of these other cool things, primarily going to the woods. And we even used to go to the dump and shelter through the trash to collect cans and bottles because that's how we made our extra spending money. Tyson isn't the only one we talked to who grew up foraging in Appalachia either. Author Susie Gott Sugaray grew up in the mountains of western North Carolina on her family farm before moving to France. 
While she set out to make her career in music, she wound up studying the culinary arts while in France, something that led her right back to her roots on a farm in rural Appalachia. I'm always intrigued by that element, myself having been born in Appalachia, but having spent 20 years in France and then come back to the region, uh, bringing elements of what I learned in France back to here. And of course, having taken elements of, of uh, Appalachia to France, where I stayed for 20 years playing <laughs> playing Appalachian music, actually, uh, which is um, not a direct segue into the culinary world. But uh, after 20 years of having um, toward the globe, so to speak, uh, introducing various different people to this culture. I decided it was time to bring something back to this region that I had learned from elsewhere. So that's when um, that's when I got into the culinary um, world and, uh, you know, with all hands and feet together. And it's been quite a ride, I have to say. For her, the sharing of those stories has become a key focus in her career. Authoring myriad cookbooks and compendiums, Susie also founded the Seasonal School of Culinary Arts, taking students on foraging trips around her family's property and teaching them to prepare both French and Appalachian cuisine. A few years ago, I got the chance to go out for one of those classes. With about a dozen of us gathered around her kitchen, she taught us how to prepare pot au feu. And while it simmered on the stove, we took a hike through her family property on the mountains. We passed by old cabins and barns in the woods, hearing the stories and lore from the very hills we were walking through from someone who'd seen it firsthand. Uh, So stories are everywhere. So it's a matter of what you tune into and then what you choose to repeat. And um, my life has definitely been centered around food for my entire life, despite the fact that music was my main voice for many, many years. Um, But we all eat. That's what we do. And I feel like every moment of our lives is dedicated in some respect to uh, either gathering ingredients, making the food, feeding our family or entertaining, or earning the money to buy the food that other people have produced. So truly, we're all, no matter what we are doing, no matter whether we're locked up in a cubicle somewhere in a high-rise office building or whether we are farmers on the ground making it happen on the soil level, we're all involved in the pursuit of food all the way through. So when I started the culinary school, it was really, um, it it had to do with, um, of course, having lived in France for a certain number of years and seen how people revere food there and then moving back to East Tennessee to help direct the Bluegrass and Country Music Program at ETSU and being shocked by how little people revered food and their bodies and the time that they spent enjoying it. Um, So when I started the culinary school, I, I really wanted to focus on that last step the step where we put food on people's plates, because I feel like if farmers have spent all this time, all their life's blood in producing food, or if people have spent all their lives in earning money to buy food, and that last step is missed where we put the food on the table, if it's not something that's palatable, if it's not been prepared in a way that is enjoyable or beautiful or uh, honoring the ingredients that are used, then all the time leading up to that has in a sense been lost. So it's really, really important how we serve our food forth. Speaking of serving food forth, as I mentioned before, Chow Chow has paired each of their storytellers for their food stories dinner with a different chef. 
Susie just so happens to be paired with a chef with a remarkably similar story from somewhere very different. Author Michelle Gentile grew up in Toronto, Canada. After attending Leveran Culinary School in France, Michelle worked as a cookbook editor and recipe tester for Anne Willen, staged for Marco Pierre White, and cooked her way through the Mediterranean, Budapest, and most recently through Antarctica, Alaska, and the equatorial South Pacific, writing about those experiences for Wall Street Journal and New York Times before finally landing in Asheville. I asked her how someone with so many of her own stories goes about telling someone like Susie's story through a single course dinner. We had not met before, but we, when we did meet, we found that we had a few things in common. I mean, she spent many years living in France. She grew up here um, on the land, but she spent many years in France. And so we had some commonality and understanding like, you know, the, the French culture of food. Um, and I've lived here for 10 years, so I'm still learning about what's available and, you know, what it's like here. But we, we were able to come to an understanding of, of things pretty quickly. And then I went and visited her on her family farm, and it's just so beautiful. And you can see how um, connected she is to the land there. Um, so that that helped, you know, just making those connections. And then she had suggestions. I mean, she has she's she knows how to forage. I mean, this is what she does. So she took me all around her land and she said, here's, you know, the Sochan, which is um, uh, considered a tonic and uh, sacred to the Cherokee people. And here is the spice berries and, you know, they're out right now. And here's the asters. This is the family. So she knew uh, all these ingredients that I am able to incorporate into my dishes. And so that sort of, you know, communication and, and, and seeing what she's about and her seeing what I'm about and sort of coming to um, a commonality and using each other's expertise to come up with ideas. I guess that's the best way to do it. And just imagination. I guess to some extent as well, like as a chef, you're constantly translating other people's menu ideas, other people's restaurant concepts, other people's ideas all the time. Yeah. So that's got to be kind of a natural pivot for you to shift into telling someone's story. Mm -hmm. It is. But, um, but with more creativity because, you know, she, she's very, um, she's very good about not trying to control what, what my ideas are, but to add to them. And that's such a great, that's somebody who knows how to co-create, you know, what's your idea? What's another idea? How can we incorporate it? And, uh, at no time has she tried to foist her her ideas on me, but at the same time, she has really good things to add to it. And, um, yeah, and she's, you know, I mean, she's so knowledgeable and she's so knowledgeable about foraging, but also French food, like tech, technical, technical things. So very interesting. Yeah. Just like, I'm just so honored to be able to work with her. So how does one turn all of those stories and experiences into a single dish? You may be asking, Well, here's an example of the direction Michelle is going for the appetizers she and Susie are putting together. Well, as a forager, I think that I'm I'm trying to incorporate as many sort of wild things as possible. Um, So her her suggestion was using sochan. Um, 
and uh, I, I, I still haven't figured out what kind of soup I'm going to make. I wanted to make a chestnut soup, but I'm having a hard time finding enough chestnuts to do it with. Um, but I wanted to make a thick soup and use the Sochan pea stew um, on, you know, as a garnish on on the soup. It would be just like a a one one spoonful of of a soup, um, and then use her Sochan pea stew. So we went and collected Sochan at her home um, and I brought it home and I was reading about it and it is of the sunflower family from what I've read. Um, so then I got some sunflower seeds to make the pea stew. Pea stew is, is like a pesto, but it doesn't have cheese in it. So I used sunflower seeds and sunflower oil and the sochan to make a kind of a green sauce. That's one example. Yeah, and that'll be a garnish for the soup. Perhaps Susie summarized what it is like to tell a story through food best by comparing it to music. Um, I, I, I will go to one of my mentors here, um, Hervé Tisse, who's considered the father of molecular gastronomy in France, and say that one of his passions is comparing food to music in that um, if you if you consider each flavor element as a note of music, and then you combine your flavors as you would various notes of music to form a chord, and then you combine those chords to form a dish or to form a piece of music, and then those dishes become a banquet or those pieces of music become a symphony. You've got that kind of parallel there, even though the two artist for, or art forms might seem uh, disparate at, at the outset, they have a lot of similarities. And you can weave storytelling into that. You can find similar elements with how you choose to put your words together into a sentence, into a phrase, into an idea, and how you communicate that to others. If you like what you've heard from today's episode, I highly recommend that you check out the Food Stories Dinner at this year's Chow Chow. That dinner is coming up quickly on September 26th. In addition to the amazing folks you heard on today's show, it will feature artist and poet Cliesta Cotton, the social change entrepreneur Tracy Green Washington, and some favorite local chefs like Gypsy Queen's Susie Phillips, Neng Jr.'s Silver Kausler, and Eric Morris of Cultura. For tickets, head to exploreashville.com. The Dirty Spoon is a production of Dirty Spoon Media, copyright 2021. I'm Jonathan Ammons, and I'm the editor-in-chief. I produce, record, and edit the show and write our original music. Catherine Campbell is our editor-at-large, handles the website and marketing, sources our stories, and keeps the engines running around here. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to visit our webpage, dirty-spoon.com, to read our culinary journal, listen to back episodes of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour, or to support us by subscribing to our Patreon. You can hear new episodes of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour on 103.7 WPVM the first Saturday of every month at 11 a.m. And please, go subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts by searching for the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour so that you don't miss podcast extra episodes like this one. Always bringing you stories from the people who shape what we consume right here on the Dirty Spoon.